All right, so open up your Bibles to Luke, the ninth chapter. Pull out your notes. Get out a pen. You're going to want to write some stuff down today or put it into your notes of your phone or something. It's week seven of The Blessed Life. And this is probably one of the best messages yet. As I've read that book, Robert Morris's book, he makes in his chapter on the principles of multiplication, there's two key points I'm going to bring out of that book for you today. And uh, it's really, really crucial that, that, that we end with these two things in mind. The big joke at my house this last week was when I told you guys last week about my daughter, how I was going to check out every boy that she was going to date in college and see if they were, you know, check their tithing record, you know. I, she laughed and she says, Dad, I can't believe you said that. You're not really going to do that, are you? And I said, well, of course I am. <laughs> I'm going to check out the tithing record of every young man that dates you. And she was like, Dad, you're not really. I said, listen, if he can't be faithful to God in his finances, let me tell you, Jordan, you are the most priceless, valuable treasure to me that I will ever give to another man in my whole life. So I want that young man to know that everything that he has in life is entrusted to him by God. And I want him to honor God and put him first. See, that's the heart that I want him to have. And see, this is what I've been getting at the whole seven weeks, that it's all about your heart, and God wants you to be a good son. He wants you to be a good daughter. He wants you to be a good steward, a good manager of what he's entrusted you with. Because, you see, we have uh, a God who has all things He's an amazing God who wants to bless the world. And then over here, you've got this world of great need where everything is broken. And you've got every system, every relationships, uh, marriages, uh, the economy, um, the relationships with our children, schools, business. I mean, even the planet, everything's broken. And so you've got a God that wants to do things about it. And you know who's in the middle? We are. And the question is, is what kind of stewards are we going to be what kind of people are we going to be? And see, here's the thing I know. God wants to multiply the impact of your life. You were not made just to go through life, to exist, to wake up in the morning, do the same day over, download a movie or two, uh, purchase something here or there, and just hope that you find some meaning. Listen, you were meant to have a multiplying impact on the world. You're not here by accident. You're, you're meant to multiply. And the other thing I know is he's meant for all of us to have a multiplying influence on the world for Christ. That's why he has the church still here on earth. He wants to multiply your impact, and he's multiplying our influence. And that's what he's been doing here for the last 13 years. You're not part of a church that was started just to kind of be a club for, for the people in the church, right? You know that. We, we started Heartland Church to be a church for people who are not here yet, to be incredible stewards of what God's put in our hands so we could reach the world with increasing speed and accuracy. And we want to help every single person that God brings across our life. We're here for people who aren't here yet. So I just say that. That's the framework of the whole series so far. And today I want to talk to you about your multiplying impact and our multiplying influence in a message called Multiply. And this, the scripture is a very familiar passage in Luke chapter 9. We're going to read those verses together beginning in verse 12. Check this out. When the day began to wear away, the twelve came and said to him, that's Jesus, send the multitude away that they may go to the surrounding towns and country and lodge and get provisions for we're here in this deserted place. But he said to them, you give them something to eat. They were trying to send the people away and he's saying, you take care of this. 
And they said, we have no more than five loaves and two fish unless we go buy food for all these people. We, we can't do that because there were about 5,000 men. And you need to understand something. In your Bible, when it says the feeding of the 5,000, that's okay as long as you realize that's, that's 5,000 families. Jewish culture at this time only counted the heads of households. So you're talking at least with, you know, the wife and a couple of kids. You're talking maybe 20,000 people. In fact, Mark's gospel says exactly that on top of the 5,000, um, there were women and children. So here we are, 5,000 families. And this is the largest crowd that Jesus has ever spoken to. This is the big attendance Sunday for Jesus right here. We're reading it. And Here's what happened. He said to his disciples, okay, make them sit down in groups of 50, and they did so, and they all sat down. Then he took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, the two fish and the five loaves, and he gave them to the disciples to set before the multitude. So they all ate, and they were filled, and 12 baskets of the leftover fragments were taken up by them. Why 12 baskets? I don't know, 12 disciples, 12 doggy bags to take home maybe? That's what that's all about? Oh, my goodness. All the other services laughed and not you guys? All right. <laughs> Note to self, take that out for next year's repeat. Take that out. We're not going to say that joke. Did not work. All right. You got to put yourself in this story to imagine it. Put yourself in the scene right now. Let's pray. God, put us right in the middle of this story so we can see how this applies to our life and change us by it now in Jesus' name. Amen. Picture yourself as one of the 12, and this is one of the greatest moments of your life as you've led up to this big day. The influence of Jesus is expanding. He's healing people. The, he's walking on water, and people are amazed, and more people keep coming to hear him, and he involved you and picked you. On top of that, he doesn't just have you sit by. He sends you out ahead and says, listen, take another one of the disciples with you. Go out and tell people I'm coming and announce the good news. And the same Holy Spirit that's on me, I want you to pray for people and watch them recover. And you get to be a part of it. And you're so excited to go out and tell everybody, Jesus is here, the time is now. And you're telling everyone. I mean, you're tweeting it out, you're Facebooking, you're letting everybody know that the day is coming and Jesus is here. And it's leading up to this big day that's ahead when Jesus is going to talk to everybody. And it worked. And you get to that day and everybody showed up. All that work, all the energy, all of the communicating to everybody, and they all showed up. And they brought their family and their kids. And there is an energy that comes when everybody just shows up. And people are excited. And the music is incredible, like we heard today. And then uh, out comes Jesus, and he starts to speak. And Jesus kills it. It's just on point, And everybody's listening, and they're just hanging on every word. And you're sitting there going, this is awesome. This is amazing. 11 o'clock, he's on it. 12 o'clock, keep going, Jesus, you're awesome. About 12.15, 12.30, and the family ministry people are coming out going, is he going to go on much longer? Because they do that to me. I don't know if you know that. They just, <laughs> I've had that happen. So I figure they must have done it to Jesus. And then the disciples are going, no, no, he's almost, I'm sure he's almost wrapping it up. But 1 o'clock and the pregame show is on. And, you know, they're like... Is he going to keep going? Now, the crowd is not moving. The crowd is into it. They're listening and they're hanging on his every word. But about this point, you can tell from the story, the disciples are getting anxious. Like, okay, when is he going to wrap up? Two o'clock? Three o'clock? He's still going. Four o'clock, Jesus is still speaking and the crowd is hanging in there with him. You think I'm joking? The text said, as the day began to wear away. You know what that means? 
it started getting dark. He's still going. And the, you can, the disciples come together and say, we got to talk to him. And one of them's going, I know, if I don't eat, I'm going to die right here. I will die right here if I don't eat. So, so they go over and they say, Jesus, they say, now, let's not make it about us, right? That's what we do. They go, Jesus, the people. We're concerned for the people because, you know, they've been here all day and, you know, you're, you're just killing it today with this entire series of messages that you're bringing in one day. It's awesome. You know, we could go on all night, but the people, you know, we were just thinking that you should send them on and go let them get food because the restaurants are closing. We're way out here in the wilderness and Jesus is all the people. Yeah, the people. It's all about the people, Lord. We, we could stand in there with you the whole night. He goes, oh, well, great. Well, you give them something to eat. What? <laughs> That's crazy. And now the little committee goes back, and they're trying to figure out, well, what do we do with that? And us feed them. We don't have anything. They check with Judas. How much money do we have in the account? Judas says, well, there's none. Nothing in there. And so Peter is now figuring out, like, what are we going to do? And this kid walks by who had the sense to go back to Long John Silver's and pick something up. And he's got the two-piece with extra rolls. And <laughs> Peter just grabs it, takes it, and says, look, tell him this is all we have. Like, that's got to shut him down. This is it. So they go back, you know, and they Lord, Peter took this. We didn't take it. <laughs> Peter, he just took it from this kid. And, <laughs> you know, Lord, this is all we have. So, you know, maybe we should go with the original plan and just let the people go. And the Lord says, oh, no, that's, that'll be fine. You know, just... Just tell them to sit down in groups of 50. No, Lord, you don't understand. This is not like the prototype, and we have like a whole stack back here. I mean, this is all we have. No, 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 I know. Go ahead and sit them down in groups of 50. And you have to understand that people, if you've led people at all, you lead people, people don't do things because you ask them to do it. You have to give people a reason. People ask questions. And so when you're going to have people number off so you can sit them down in groups of 50, people are going, well, so what's going to happen? Y'all going to feed us? Is there going to be lunch, dinner? What's going to happen? And you can imagine the anxiety of the disciples thinking, there's going to be a riot. Because we're setting these people down to eat and you know, getting them in these groups, and we don't have enough. What we have in our hand is not enough. That was the conclusion, right? And Jesus says, here, bring it to me. So they give it to Jesus. They put it in his hands. And it's really amazing what happens in this story because it's not what you think and it's not what you saw in the movie. The movie didn't get it right. The movie, you know, he held it up and it multiplied and then they carried all of this. Everybody was excited. Watch this. Let me show you this. Let's go back and look at the, the verse 16, okay? He took the five loaves and the two fish, and looking up to heaven, he blessed and broke them, the, the, the two fish and the five loaves, and then he gave them, okay, the same two fish and the five loaves just in pieces, and he gave them to the 12 disciples to set before the multitude. So he takes these five loaves, two fish, and he, he blesses them, and then he breaks them and he hands the pieces to the 12 disciples. And Peter gets like a piece of fish and half a roll in his hand. And he's looking down. The Lord says, now go, serve the people. And he's looking down. He's going, um, can you pray some more? <laughs> no, Lord, no, Peter, I've blessed it. Like, go um, disperse it now. And he's looking down. He's going, Lord, are you sure you don't want to pray some more? No, uh, it's blessed, Peter. Go serve the people. So you can imagine, Peter's got this half a piece of fish and a piece of bread, and he's going like this, take just a little piece. <laughs> just a little piece. 
third person, I said a little piece, you know, stop. <laughs> and he gets to the fourth person, and it just starts to grow in his hands, and there's a little bit more. And now he's getting excited. Here, have some more. Here's the thing people miss. The miracle did not happen in the master's hand. The miracle happened in the disciples' hands. That's incredible. The miracle, the miracle did not happen. Think of the faith it took to walk out to give something away that you say, there's no way this is enough. Out of that story, I want to bring two principles for your life today, and I want you to write these down. It's the principles in this story of multiplication. Number one, it has to be blessed before it can multiply. It has to be blessed. If they had just taken the broken pieces and gone and handed it out, they would have run out. It was totally not enough. But they had something in their hands that was blessed by Jesus, and it was the blessing of Jesus that caused it to multiply. And there are many people who just give a little here and a little there, but they never see the blessing of God on their resources. And the scripture is so clear what brings the blessing of Jesus upon your resources. The scripture says, and we've heard this week after week now, bring the whole tithe into the house of God so there may be food in my house. Bring the whole tithe into the house of the Lord, the first 10% of our income, and bring it to God because when we bring the first 10% of our income to the Lord, the rest is blessed, and the rest can multiply. I was just talking to someone in my small group this week, and I said, they said, they said, well, we never understood that before. I mean, we're tithing, but we give a little bit here and a little bit here, and we kind of break it up, and we send it in all these different places, and we never knew. I mean, we never, we, we were convicted. I mean, I mean, we're, we thought we were tithing. And I said, well, what does the scripture say? Let's just look at it again. Bring the whole tithe into the house of God so there may be food in my house. You see, you can't designate what's not yours. That's been the big principle here, that you have something in your hand that belongs to God. And it's the tithe. It's his. It already belongs to him. That's why the scripture says the word bring the whole tithe, because you can't give God what's not yours. And so in bringing something in that action, you're breaking the hold that we have on control over what we think we have to do to provide for ourselves. In that act, there's something that's transformative that's taking place where we're saying, God, I'm trusting you to be my provider and my protector. He's trying to do that with your heart. And if you, it's not a legalistic thing either. If you get to the place in your heart where the tithe is just another bill, I want to tell you, God still wants to work on your heart. And he's going to keep moving you to the place where you continue to say, God, I trust you to be my protector and my provider. Now, that's what brings the blessing of God upon your finances. This is not some formulaic, this is for me so that I can be, you know, have more for me. This isn't about more, shinier, faster, better, more stuff that I can do for myself. No, this is about you saying, God, I want your, your hand to be upon everything to provide and protect and to bless and multiply. And in doing so, I just bring you what's yours. And that's what brings the blessing. So it has to be blessed before it can multiply. Second point, it has to be given before it can multiply. Think about how simple this is. If they, it was blessed... But if they had looked at it and said, well, there's not enough, and then they didn't give it away, it would have never multiplied. If they had eaten it for themselves, it would have never multiplied. 
So it has to be given away before it can multiply. And this is such a powerful principle uh, in my life. I mean, God is wanting to break you free so that you'll have a multiplying impact on the world. That's the whole purpose. And friends, I love you. I'm your pastor. I've been talking to you about this for several weeks now. And you need to know, my heart towards you is that you would be free. Well, what's your motivation for that? Well, easy. Free people, free people. Change people, change people. So I make no apology for that. I'm trying to ask, get you to the point where you're so free that you can answer this question. Here, here's the question. Would you like God to multiply your resources so that you can be free to build the kingdom of God? Never thought of it that way. Let me ask you this again. Would you like God to multiply your, your resources in such a way that you would be free with no restrictions so you could bless other people? And you could build the kingdom of God. Imagine, I mean, I know you're thinking, right? yeah, but what about, no, I mean free. I mean, imagine if you had no restrictions and you were free to use your life to bless other people. That's in the heart of every person here. But we're restricted and we're not free and we're held back. One of the big mistakes I made was that I used to think, well, if I bring God the tithe, then all the rest is just for me. Not true. See, God is the boss of all of it. I bring him his tithe, and then as a good steward, my view is to say, okay, Lord, now how do you want me to be a good steward of everything that's in my hand? If they had not given what was in their hand, it would have never multiplied. Now, people have been getting this in this church for a really long time, and that's what's causing the multiplying influence of Heartland Church. As they multiply their impact, the multiplying influence happens for all of us, there was a great story I've got in my email archive, one from a young man by the name of Scott. Scott came to our church years ago, and I met him. I liked him immediately. I invited him for coffee. He held me off for like two months. I kept asking him, and finally he agreed. We met at a Starbucks. At Starbucks, he gave his life to Christ, and he came back, and a few weeks later was baptized at Heartland. We didn't have this all nice, big baptismal pool. We had a horse trough back in the day with cold water in it. You just kind of sat in it, and we kind of laid you back. It was, you missed all the fun. I mean, that would have, that's how you could have been baptized. Well, Scott was baptized in a horse trough, and his life uh, launched like a rocket. I mean, his spiritual life exploded and one of the most precious emails I have is this one where he wrote me a few years later. And listen to these words. He said this, the key fear I had in giving my life to Christ was that he would take my money, his quotations. I worked hard for it and it was mine. I guess I knew in my heart he didn't like my idolatry of money. I knew it was wrong and greed was wrong. And I guess I just feared the correcting. I laugh now. We weren't giving, just a little here and there. But after your message, I shared with my wife that I thought we should start to tithe, and it opened up my heart. She told me what that amount would be after she calculated it, and I said, wow, that's a car payment. <laughs> but the following Sunday, I wrote the first tithe check, and we prayed over it. I laugh now at how difficult it was at that time. The following Tuesday, my wife was called into her boss's office where he tells her that she's doing a great job. He feels she is underpaid for her performance. He gave her a raise, and the increase was exactly to the penny the amount that we had tithed on Sunday. God gave it right back to us, the first of many confirmations that we have learned to obey God when he speaks. 
Now, he wrote this. He's just about five years since becoming a Christian when he wrote this to me. And listen to this. This is a five-year-old Christian. Listen to how profound these words are. Look what he says next. I've robbed God a lot of years of my life, and I didn't know it. God has now convicted my heart to bring all the tithe that I've robbed from him. We've dug out our W-2s, and we have calculated all of our earnings over the years, and all the tithe we never brought since we started working and we're going to bring 10% from the very beginning. The Lord willing, God will give us the ability to make good on my desire for restitution this year. Wow. Well, you know what? That was years ago. And God has just blessed Scott and his family beyond, beyond. There's another man in our church. His name's Todd. He owns his own business. He's a contracting company. And um, he got convicted about bringing the first and saying, God, I want you first in my heart and first in my life. And he says, I pay myself, so I know I'm going to pay myself the whole year. I want to bring the tithe for the whole year up front. But he said, there's no way my wife is going to go for that. His wife didn't come to church, and he was for sure there's no way she'd agree. So he prayed. He says, Lord, I want to do what you want, but you're going to have to talk to my wife. So he made it a matter to prayer and said, if this is really you, God, you got to speak to her. So he goes in and he tells his wife, God spoke to me, and I think I should give a tithe of my income, 10% to the Lord. And she goes, okay. And he goes, no, 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 you don't understand. All of it, like right now, for the whole year. And she goes, well, what if I want to do that too? He goes, what? And he, she, said, she said, he said, no, I don't mean we have to do that. I'm just saying I feel convicted. She goes, no, what if I want to join you? I think that's a good idea. And now he's sweating because it's double the amount that he was thinking that he was going <laughs> to give. <laughs> And he, listen to this, he writes me this, this, uh, this was the email that he sent, it's amazing. Pastor, we're so excited to bring God the first fruits of our income in advance for the entire year. I'm so excited. I just want to thank you for leading me to Jesus. What? Yeah. Todd says this to me, this was five years ago. He's done this every year for five years. God has blessed that construction company through this recession in an amazing way and in so many other areas of their life. And Todd doesn't go away from my presence every time without grabbing my hand and just saying, Pastor, thank you for leading me to Jesus. The blessed life is all about the heart. But it's also about bringing your whole life into God's order. And that's what I'm all about here to tell you today. You cannot expect God to bless your life when it's not in order. You've got to bring your life under the order of God, and then he'll bless it, and he'll multiply it. But you've got to bring it in order. What do you mean, Darren, bring it in order? Let me give you three specific things so you know exactly what I'm talking about. Three things to bring your life into God's order so he can bless you and multiply your impact. Number one, get out of debt. Get out of debt. Get free. Get that slavery off your back. Get rid of debt. I have peace in my life because we don't have debt of any kind. Well, we have the mortgage on our house, which is an appreciating asset, and we get a tax credit, but in seven years, that'll be paid off. And, you know, you can have debt that's appreciating and tax credit and good, but I'm, you know, there's the other kind of debt, and some people really need to do some plastic surgery. I mean, you know, the kind where you take the cards and you chop them up, okay? Because that debt's really bad for you, and it's imprisoning your life. There's all kinds of debt that's weighing you down. And some people, they don't feel bad about it. They're like, well, everybody has payments and car payments. It's just a way of life. You don't know how much that's costing you and how much that's limiting you. And when, 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 when God speaks to you to do something and you say, well, I can't, or, 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 how about the young couple in our church that wanted to get married, fell in love, and she found out that he had $45,000 of student loan debt. 
And all of a sudden, the whole relationship is hanging in the balance because she's going, I don't know if I want to join up with that because your debt is now my debt. You ever think that debt could cause some friction in relationships? You think that's possible? Take a look at this story. Watch this. Hi, my name is Jordan Crabtree. And I'm Kate Crabtree. And we've been coming to Heartland for about four years now. We've been married for eight months since June 22nd of 2013. And we're really excited about Woo. it. <laughs> and when we um, first started going together, um, I had had quite a bit of, of debt. So she came into the marriage with no debt and I came into the marriage with quite a bit of debt, and so that was hard for her. Coming into a marriage with a lot of debt was was really hard on me because it was our debt now and not just his. I was at that point in no hurry to get out of the debt, none at all. I, I was one of those people who thought, well, you know, debt's debt, you're always going to be in that. Um, you always have a car note or have a mortgage or have student loan debt, not a big deal but she was not very happy with that. So I actually came up with the idea, hey, I've heard about this program called Financial Peace University. And I said, hey, what do you think about going to that? And I, at first I did it just as a way kind of to get her off my back for a while. <laughs> and she though, she loved it. She's, it was awesome. It she, like totally saved our relationship. Yeah, she said, yes, absolutely, let's, let's do it, let's go. And I was like, oh man, okay, well now we have to go. <laughs> So we went, and from the first time we went to Financial Peace University, we were hooked. And from then on, we went to all of the classes, um, and we made the commitment then to get out of debt. And we started to instantly put in the principles of, you know, getting out of debt and really building toward the future. And it is amazing to watch the, the number just go down and down and down. And next week, we're going to be debt-free. Debt-free. And we're so excited. Right. <laughs> we're going to St. Elmo to celebrate. <laughs> through it all, through all of the, the giving towards debt and everything like that, getting out of debt, we've, we've been tithing the whole time. Faithfully tithed off the top. I think that's almost crucial. It's not almost mm -hmm. crucial. It is crucial to tithe and to show God that you trust Him, too. He's made all this happen. Even I got my dream job through us tithing and staying faithful. And yeah. It just frees you up, yeah. you know, to bless others. Yeah. And that's one of the biggest things that, that we want. Getting out of debt, getting your life in order so that you can bless others. Yep, that's exactly right. Do they look happy to you? <laughs> A blessed life is the happy life. It feels good to be free. And see, here's the thing. That's what I want for you. Free people, free people. Change people, change people. And what God does is when you get serious about getting out of debt and you put him first and you realize, you know, you were robbing God, which is probably what got you into debt. And so now you say, God, I'm going to honor you first and I'm going to make this my priority and we're going to order the stuff that's in our power to order, not the tithe, because that belongs to him already. And you put God's order over that, you'll pay off your debt faster than you even planned. And there's a host of stories that will back that up. And you can find out more this week, Financial Peace University starts again. And if you've never been, listen, 
No more excuses. Don't, get 2000, don't let 2014 pass you by and still be in the same old debt. Do something about it. Carve the time out and get financially free. You cannot expect God to bless you when you're still enslaved by debt. The second uh, principle of bringing your life into God's order is, listen to this one, uh, get over manipulating. Now, here's what I mean by that, okay? It means get over the whole bargaining prayer thing with God. Like, God, if you do this, then I'll do this. God, if you'll do this, this, and this, then I'll tithe. Then I'll bring it to you. You know how many prayers sound like that? You know, there's a guy in the Bible named Jacob, Genesis chapter 28, and he says exactly that. He says, God, if you'll do this, 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 and this, then I'll bring you a tenth of everything. A lot of people look at that and say, oh, that's a good thing. No, no, no. His name... Jacob, it means manipulator, and that's exactly what he'd been doing all of his life. He'd been a deceiver and a manipulator, just deceived his dad, deceived his brother. He's on the run because of all the family chaos, and now he's trying to say, God, save my life, and if you do this, this, then this, then I'll bring you a tenth of my income. You see, those stories and those names of people in the Old Testament are there to warn us and to guide us, and a lot of us Spend a lot of time trying to bargain and bet with God with a resource that's not even ours. Again, bring the whole tithe into the house of the Lord. It's not yours. I mean, I can do one of two things. I remember thinking of this one day. I can either bring it to him or I can steal it. It's one or the other. But I can't bargain with that and use that as a chip to get God to do. It's his. It belongs to him. So, so I stopped trying to manipulate him over the tithe. The second thing is, um, you know, you can manipulate people by letting them always know the needs of your life. And here's the thing. What God is really after is you coming to the point where you truly believe, God, you're my source. You're my provider and your protector and my protector. And that's all the peace that you need. In fact, the purpose of tithing is to break you free of that uh, desire to control everyone and everything and just trust God to be your source, to be your provider, to be your protector. And there's a lot of men that think, well, that's what my job is for my family. I'm the provider. I'm the protector. I do a pretty good job of it. Well, listen, God is your source. He gave you your mind. He gave you your background. He gave you your education, the shrewdness that you have for business and all of that. He gave that to you. He's your source. And when you honor him and finally get around to thanking him and putting him first in your life, he's going to be able to multiply and bless you. But you've got to bring your life in his order. And the third thing is this. Become a giver. And that's obvious. That's the heart God wants you to have, a generous heart. In fact, a heart that's increasingly growing in generosity because that is the heart of God who gave to you first. And you say, well, I, I, I am generous. I give. I give the tithe. Again, not to belabor the point, you can't give God what's his. So I'm talking about you bring to the Lord his tithe, and then you take everything else that is left in your hand that he's put into your hand, you say, now, Lord, what do you want me to do with what you've given me? And then you spend the rest of your life being open to God, and every time he speaks to you, you do whatever he tells you to do. And you grow in generosity, and you grow with a heart that wants to give. This is the blessed life. When you start to grow in your ability to expand for others, that's when God starts to multiply what's in your hand. And you say, well, how will I know what to give? And how will I know what to, what to do and when and, and, and to whom? You'll know. He'll tell you. 
He'll talk to you. The Bible says, my sheep hear my voice. They know me and they follow me. God will speak to you from time to time and tell you. And you know exactly. You'll just know what you're supposed to do. And you want to have a growing open heart that says, with what's been put in my hand. See, again, I used to think that that was, well, that's mine to do with what I want. No, you're a steward. And God, what do you want me to do? So every check that comes into my life and every gift that comes into my life, we've trained ourselves to go, okay, God, what do you want us to do with this resource that you've just provided for us? I wish every Christian would get that revelation. That ultimately that's what God wants because he wants to multiply your impact and he wants to multiply the influence of his people to touch the needs of this world. I make no apology for saying that's exactly what my mission in life is. And friends, nobody's going to tell you that. Somebody in your life, I may be the only one that will say, here's the view of God on your finances. And this whole world is playing a different soundtrack saying, no, it's all about you and whatever you want. So God wants to break you free. And about this time, someone's going, Darren, listen, do you have any other stories? I mean, like the stories where it didn't work out. Are you for real? Do you, are you a real person? I mean, do you have a story where it didn't all go, like God didn't do what the people expected? <laughs> well, of course. Of course I have stories like that, and we're real. You know, in my family alone, just, just our family, okay, I've had, I've had addition, and I've had subtraction, We've had division, and we've had multiplication. And I'm telling you stories right now about multiplication. And you know why? Because those are the stories, as rare as they are, that build my faith and anchor me and have anchored my children and generations yet to come that even when we don't understand and when life is dark and it's hard, God always provides that he never stops taking care of us. And even though sometimes he doesn't do the things that I want him to do, yet there is a God who is so faithful and he's up to things that are bigger and better than I can imagine. And ultimately, it's not about me, it's about his kingdom and his purpose. I am so thankful for those anchor stories that are in my life that have shaped my faith. There are some people, and the only stories they tell are the times when it went wrong and there was failure and when they experienced lack and when God didn't do what they thought they should do and they live. Well, listen, that's not the blessed life. But I'm telling you, you need, every one of you, you need that story, that pivotal, whatever. Maybe it's one time in your life or several times. I've seen it many times. I could spend a whole Sunday just telling you stories of the faithfulness of God in my life. You need that for your family. And your children need that. And future generations to come. Teenagers. You know, let me talk to the teenagers in the room. You need a story in your life early on that sets the course that you'll say, it may not always go the way that I think, but I know that God is looking out for me. And you've put him first, and you learn how to trust him. You need a story like that. In 1968, before I was born, before my wife was born, my uncle, Jess, was a missionary in Liberia. And he had a friend named Ken Wagner. And Ken Wagner was a missionary pilot who married a young woman named Mary Coston, who happens to be Larie's aunt. This is all before we were born. Mary and Ken were missionaries, you know, the pilot and, and his wife, Mary. They became missionaries to Liberia, and they were missionaries to lepers. They lived in a leper colony, had great faith. 
They had two little girls, two small girls, and one baby girl on the way when in 1968, Ken's plane went down in a tragic accident into the ocean. They recovered the wreckage and they recovered his body. And Mary had to bury Ken in the graveyard of the leper colony, halfway around the world with no family there and two little girls and a little baby on the way. And she had nothing left to do, no more ministry now, no more future there, so she packed everything up and she moved back to Santa Ana, California to move in with her mom and dad. On the way back from Liberia, the ship had these big drums where they put all their belongings in. When the ship got to California and they opened up the drums, salt water had gotten inside all of the drums and had destroyed all of her possessions, including every picture that she had of Ken. All she had left to remind her of Ken was a necklace she wore around her neck with his ring and her ring, and she wore it right here. Now, you can have faith that will move you to go serve lepers in Africa, and life can still hit you so hard that you think that you've lost everything. She was sitting in church one Sunday morning in Santa Ana, and there was this missionary, a famous missionary named Morris Plotz, who came through, and Morris was sharing about this awesome moment in history that God was going to allow a church to be built in the center of Tehran, Iran in the heart of Muslim extremism. And he shared this vision, and God began to speak to her heart, and she heard God say, Mary, do you trust me? Will you give me everything? And uh, she said, Lord, this is all that I have. And she knew what he was talking about, and that was just the rings that were around her neck. And she heard the Lord say, Mary, I love you. Will you trust me? And will you give me everything? And Mary thought about it for just a few moments. And before the offering came, she said, Lord, you're all that I have. So, yes, I'll give you everything. And she took the necklace off and put the offering, or put the necklace in the offering as it came by. The pastor, when he got back to his office, they brought him these rings, and the missionary was there. And he said, I know those rings. They belong to Mary Wagner. And I know her story. And they brought her in, and they said, Mary, we cannot accept this gift. It's too much. It's too much sacrifice. We know all that's happened to you. And she said, God asked me for them. So I have to give them. And please accept them. I cannot take them back. Morris Plotz traveled over the United States for the next year through 1969 telling the story of Auntie Mary's sacrifice. And in a very short period of time, all the money was raised to build that church in Tehran, Iran. On the last Sunday when he was speaking in the U.S., a man walked up to him and heard the story and said, how much for the rings? And he'd ha just had an appraisal, and they were $7,000 appraised. The man reached in his pocket, wrote out a check, and said, here, I want to buy those rings from you. And he gave the rings to the man. Then the man turned around and handed them back to the missionary and said, these are no longer yours. They're mine. I want you to give them back to the widow who gave them to you. Then he went to Tehran and he started a church in the center of that city where today it's one of the largest churches in the entire Middle East. And when you hear about pastors being persecuted in Iran, that's the church. And thousands of people have come to know Jesus in that city because of that church. Mary would go on to move to Belgium where she would meet another missionary named Vern McClellan and they would soon married 
And they ended up living an incredibly blessed life. Traveled all over the world in ministry together. Children, grandchildren. Blessed. Sometimes we don't understand the detours that God makes. But there is a God who has a great purpose for all things. And he's weaving things together in ways that we don't understand and we can't see. But it's not just about you. He's trying to use your life to have a multiplying impact for multiplying influence on his kingdom. I'm so glad for that story in my family life. I'm so glad for the impact that that story and many others have made. And though they don't happen every time, those are the stories that get me through the dark days. And I say, God, even though I can't see, there's never been a time you haven't been faithful, you haven't provided. It calms my fears and lets me say, God, I'll still trust you even when I don't know why. You need stories like that in your life. And that's why you want to step in to the blessed life and start living it for your sake for the sake of your children, and for the sake of generations to come. Now, in the Bible, there's a spot in the Bible where Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived, is about to be made king. And to be made king, the law just required that he would give an offering of one bull to the house of the Lord. You know what Solomon did? Solomon gave a thousand bulls. He had such a generous heart that he went beyond, beyond, that night, God came to him and said, Solomon, ask me anything, anything you want. God will never say that to a selfish person. God only says, ask me anything to someone whose heart he can totally trust, who is a generous person. That's what God wants for you. And that's the blessed life that we live. Let me tell you something. I'm grateful for those stories I'm grateful for the blessing of God in my life as we've trusted him and stretched and followed. I'm in love with the most amazing woman. We've been married for almost 24 years. We have incredible godly children. I have an incredible family. I'm the pastor of Heartland Church, the greatest church in America. I, I'm living the blessed life. And I want that for every single one of you. And I want all of us to be free. And even if you can't see it all right now, I want you to be free so that God can use you and multiply your impact. And we can multiply our influence together to transform this world for the sake of Jesus. And what's the Holy Spirit saying to you today? For some of you, you've been struggling with this whole bringing to God the tithe thing. I invite you to take a step of faith. And I ask you to do whatever you need to do to, to make that possible. I mean, come on. If you have to downsize a little while or, or change your budget or do something to lower your standard of living just for a while so you can bring your life into God's order so he can bless you, why wouldn't you do that? There's some of you who have been great at giving in the past, and you've gone beyond, beyond, but in this last uh, economy and with growing family and other responsibilities, you've started to hold back out of fear. and You've let fear take control of your life. And you got to get back to that spot that whenever God speaks to you, whatever he says, you're willing to say, God, whatever you ask, whatever you ask of me, I'll be the best steward that I can be for you. And then there's some of you in this room, and I don't know if I'm speaking to an older person or a teenager, mom or a dad, and the greatest gift, the most sacrificial gift you could ever give has nothing to do with money. It has to do with giving of your life 
to Christ. Where you finally stop saying, God, you know what? I've run for too long. I've held you at a distance for too long. But today, I want to give you me. I want to trust you. I want to ask you to forgive me for my wayward, broken life where I try to control everyone and everything and play, God, I'm done with that. I'm ready to let you lead me. I'm ready to let you take control. And I want to be your son. I want to be your daughter today. Maybe that's your prayer. What's the Holy Spirit saying to you? I want you to step into the blessed life today and every day for the rest of your life. Do you receive that today? All right. I know that you do. Let me just pray for you. Father, thank you for bringing every person here by name for this moment to hear this particular message in this particular service. May every person just do the next step, whatever it is you're asking them to do. And I pray that you would draw every person that needs prayer today and you'll help them, Lord, to have the courage to say yes to you no matter what. I ask this in Jesus' name, amen.